Welcome to Easter Sunday at Redeemer Church. I am David, and I have the absolutely massive privilege of serving as the pastor here at Redeemer. Uh, so glad that you guys joined us this Easter. So glad uh, if you're here uh, as our guest this morning that you guys came, and I hope you have a great experience. Let me say uh, uh, just a couple words about the video that we just watched. Um, it is about the next series that we're going to kick off next Sunday. He, and, and, and right after uh, the resurrection in the Bible, we read the story in the book of Acts of the church, of the church stepping out in really courageous ways to go share the news that Jesus was risen and to go make disciples of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so very appropriately, what we are going to do after the resurrection is, is step out and read the book of Acts and, and, and think about what are the ways that God's calling us to step out. And you know, two, two and a half years ago when we started Redeemer, it was for that reason, to reach people, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we are going to courageously step out, just like they did in the book of Acts, to try to do that in some real tangible ways. And that's, that's part of the future that we're trying to build here and make a difference uh, in people's lives at Redeemer. And so... Um, this, this series is also about this, uh, this huge goal that we're going to have of building a new building and doing projects at our Pearland campus as well. And, uh, and we are, um, we're, we're going to try to raise uh, $4.5 million to make all those things happen. Um, let, me, let me say, if you are new here this morning, please feel no obligation uh, to grab this. But in the chair in front of you, there is a booklet, uh, and it's all about that next series. You can bring it back next week. You can, you can read it. In the back, there's weekly devotions that are going to follow with the series, and there's information about what we're trying to step out and do as, as a church. And let me just share this, because uh, it's, it's a really good, good thing, especially as we look at this big, daunting thing in front of us that we feel like God's calling us to do. You know, we've had some early conversations with families uh, here at Redeemer and at our Pearland campus that really are excited about this, that really want to see this happen, that are behind us stepping out and making an impact in this community. And uh, with just 18 families, we've already got uh, $1.6 million um, raised, and we're just now starting the campaign. So we're really thankful for that. I'm really excited about that, and uh, I can't wait to, to, to study Acts and see the church move next week. Let's talk about, though, what came before that this week. This is Easter Sunday, right? We celebrate the resurrection, the thing that changed every other thing, and, uh, and what our faith is absolutely centered on. Today, um, that's what we're going to talk about. The message is titled, The Urgency of Eternity. It's going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read... Uh, from that, and um, there's also a Bible in the chair in front of you. I'd encourage you, as I, as I read it, to grab it, to study it, and to kind of follow along. You can follow along on your phones. Um, before we read God's Word and we hear it, why don't we ready our hearts and minds in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love that we celebrate today, which uh, was greater than our sin which uh, overcame our, our grave of sin and darkness, Lord, and, and broke those chains and raised us to new life. Lord, as we remember your resurrection, as we open up the words of your scripture, would you make that resurrection come alive in us? Lord, would your Holy Spirit be at work in each and every one of our lives so that we could, could have this unshakable hope um, that you died for our sins and that you rose for our new life. 
And I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, Jesus. You alone are a rock. You alone, Lord Jesus, are our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to jump just a little bit through it. I'll let you know when I do. Here we go. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. God's word. Um, so I'm a dad, and many of you know who know me know that I'm very much a dad. I'm four times a dad. I have four kids, eight to three, Jesse, Jeremiah, Jonathan, and Jordan. Jordan's a baby. She's a girl. She was a big surprise. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as I prepared and really reflected on what Paul was saying in our message this morning, one of my kids' personalities just bubbled to the surface. I couldn't get him out of my mind. And it is uh, my third son, Johnny Boy. There he is. Uh, he is four in that picture. He is five now. And Johnny is unstoppable. Uh, he's unstoppable for real. He is the energizer bunny come in the five-year-old flesh. He is uh, this wiry, determined oftentimes belligerent, utterly playful, all in kiddo, who, who is so fun and uh, probably will be the end of Shannon and I. <laughs> Last week, she, uh, we were doing our family Bible time, and Johnny walked into the room like this, and we were like, what are you doing? Here's what he had done. He had put 13 pairs of underwear on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Just for kicks, because that's what Johnny does. Uh, just another thing about Johnny, if there's like the sense of a wrestling match in the air, Johnny's like a shark with blood in the water. If, if there's like the scuffle of a foot or the clapping of the hands or a loud voice, like within moments, count it down, Johnny is there on top of the pile and he's ready to go. And the thing about Johnny is, is the boy doesn't quit. Like I said, he's unstoppable. Test him on this. I dare you. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> just say, Johnny, stop. Get him going and then be like, Johnny, it's time to quit. Stop. Please stop. Johnny, quit hitting me in the face. Stop. I need you to stop now. Stop. And, and really what I've come to realize is my son is a giant five-year-old mosquito that you squat and you swat and you swat and you swat and he never dies, right? So <laughs> that, that's, that, that's, uh, that, that's Johnny. But you know, um, one of the things I've come to realize and understand about this kiddo, my son whom I deeply love, and uh, maybe moms come to understand this a lot quicker than dads, is, is that the thing about Johnny, his deal is that he lives in the now. Johnny's life is lived in the present moment. What, what's in front of him, that thing in his face, that's the thing that's got to be dealt with and enjoyed, that's most fun in, in Johnny's life. And that's the thing he's going to give his attention to. And that's why also I have this great challenge of parenting and, and directing him in life, like the reason, that's the reason the other night why after we took a shower, I instructed him to go put on his pajamas so we could get ready for bed, only three minutes later to walk into his room and discover he's in the closet naked playing with something or other, right? And then that's the same reason why I said, Johnny, you better get, get your pajamas on and get ready or else you're going to lose uh, television later. And he says, okay, dad, and I leave, and I come back in three minutes later to discover that he's standing on the sink in the bathroom, buck naked, brushing his teeth, right? <laughs> Why? Because Johnny lives, Johnny lives in the now. And, uh, and, you know, honestly, it's really kind of a beautiful thing. Not Johnny naked in the bathroom, but, um, <laughs> but Johnny's uh, his lived life in the present moment. And honestly, it's something that I think a lot of us adults have to relearn, right? Especially when there's so many urgent things happening in our lives, like it's good for us, me first, to learn how to take deep breaths and enjoy these breaths that we've been given, to, to just enjoy the present moment. It's really good for us who uh, have these cute and playful kids that are wearing us out just to sit back and give thanks for them, right? It's so good for us to look to our right and our left and see friends whom God has given us and to just be thankful for them, right? To take that moment. It is so good when you got the evening uh, and you look out and there's a painted sky and a sunset just to actually stop and to take those moments and, and to enjoy that gift of the present moment, right? We, we've got to learn to do that as adults, Johnny does it very well, but there's something that Johnny's got to learn and something that's part of all of our growing up and maturity. And it, it's, it's the fact that actually we've got to learn to live beyond the now too, right? Life, uh, many of the most important things in life aren't right here and right now. It's ability to, to see that, right? One of the things that we've got to discover as we, as we grow and mature is what feels most urgent isn't always what's most important. Actually, usually it's not what's most important. It's that learning that the thing we want to do isn't usually the thing that we really need to do. We've got to learn to give our time and attention to the things that matter most, to the things that are first in our lives, because they are of first importance, right? We have to learn to make first what's of first importance in our lives. And I don't 
offer that to you just as a nice little lesson from Pastor David on any given Sunday morning. Actually, that language of first importance comes right out of our scripture text as Paul gives us a whole chapter, one of the most beautiful chapters on resurrection about Easter, right? He uses this language of first importance, and this concept of focusing on what's first is right there in the Easter story when when Paul gives it to us. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. First importance. So here's Paul writing to this church. And here are all these people in Corinth who have heard the gospel, who have believed it, and who are trying to follow Jesus. And they have all these other urgent things vying for their time and attention and bringing up stuff in their lives. And actually, we're in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. There are 14 other chapters where all those things start coming out. And Paul has to deal with all those other urgent things that are asking for their time and attention. And here, at the end of the book, finally, when he's spoken to all these other things, he says, this is what I want to talk to you about. This is what I need to bring you back to what's of first important, the thing that's more important than any other thing. Here is what matters the most. What was it? Paul continues. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. That's what was of first importance. And what is that? You know, we actually have a word for that little statement, and it's called the gospel. It's the gospel. Paul shares that good news about Jesus. That's Christianity at its essential core. He's saying the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing in your life. It's of first importance, and, and it's of first importance in all of history. So make it first importance in your life. Live your life centered on this gospel at which you stand. I want you to be centered with what's of most greatest first importance. And that's what Jesus is that's what Paul is saying. And you know, um, this morning, greater than any other morning, for those of us who believe, like we hear that, and I think we can agree with it, right? The gospel is of first importance. It is the best news we could have ever seen, but the, ever heard. But the thing about the gospel is that um, it doesn't feel urgent in the way so many of the other things in our lives feel urgent, right? Um, it's, it's, it's not tangible. It's not in our face, usually, in the way that so many other things that we want and desire and demand our attention are, right? Uh, we may agree that the gospel is the most important thing, but how many of us wake up on Monday mornings feeling like it's the most urgent, right? Um, you know, something I've learned over the years is that typically those things that are further off Uh, more distant, less tangible. Those are the things that are hardest to feel the urgency of them. They may be the most important, but it's harder to feel their urgency. And you know, I see this with my son Johnny, right? Uh, When we're at the checkout line in HEB and he really desperately wants that $5 pack of Pokemon cards, which is so overpriced and makes me cringe. Um, It's so hard for him to understand that if he wants to buy the $50 set of Legos later, what's important is that he doesn't deal with the urgency of his desire for those cards here and now, right? Right? The cards are in his face, though. That's what he wants. Dad, 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 please, please, please. You know, (laughs) mosquito, stop, boy. Um, uh, And you know, what's interesting is we as adults, uh, (laughs) 
This is a lesson we have to relearn too, right? All the time. Regularly, we are fighting with what is important versus what is urgent, right? Um, you know, uh, how, how many of us uh, find that the things that aren't as tangible, that are not in our face, are, are, are easier to put off and not deal with, right? Uh, like, for instance, you know, if you've taken Financial Peace with Dave Ramsey, what did he say you should build up, right? Step one, build an emergency fund, right? It's like, oh, you know, I got some money. I don't foresee any emergencies in my future, right? Um, and so we're like, ah, you know, I'll, I'll not do that. And I, my friend got a really nice truck, you know? Like, that's, that, that's the urgency that we feel. And, and what I think is true is that the bigger those things are, the more abstract they are, the harder it is to really feel them as urgent as, and important as they truly are, right? Questions about God, the, the deepest things that we've got to wrestle with in life. How easy is it to say, you know, I'll deal with that one day when I have more time, right? How, how easy is it to say, church, you know, uh, dealing with mortality, coming to grips with my own death, you know, I'm 36, I'm young, right? I don't need to deal with that right now. Uh, I've got all the time in the world. Maybe that's your experience. You know, maybe you've thought, I have time to deal with this later. Uh, they're so easy to put off those big questions, except maybe you've also had this experience too, those questions are only not urgent until that unexpected moment when they are, right? They're only abstract and intangible until the moment when they're in your face in, in a brand new way, right? Um, I'll just share one of those moments from my own life. 2015 uh, it was a beautiful summer evening. Shannon and I had just put the, the boys to bed. Johnny was a peanut at this point. Um, he was still unstoppable, though. And um, and uh, my parents wanted to talk that night. They had something to share. I didn't even think about anything of it. Uh, and so we got on the phone, and my mom and my dad shared uh, that word that I'm sure many of you guys have also heard, cancer. My dad uh, had just been diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma, and it was scary. Um, the good news was, at least we thought in that moment, we had a shot. Right, my dad, 69, was incredibly healthy. Uh, he ran or swam or played basketball every day. He had taken care of himself. Right, this was a treatable kind of lymphoma, and so we went into it hopeful that we had a shot. Right, and then it was it was a month and a half later, less than, that uh, dad's speech started to slur, and his balance. There would be moments where it would get off. And immediately, the doctors then said the words that we were all having in the back of our minds. Uh, cancer was in his brain. It had gotten into his brain before we even knew it had existed. And in that moment, those questions of eternity became immediately urgent, right? And you know, I wish that I could say my experience was my own. It was unique. But I'll tell you, I know that it's not. I know that so many of us have heard that word and that that's a reality that we've experienced too with people that we love, oftentimes multiple people that we have loved. I know that some of us right now in this room are looking at eternity with an urgency that we've never had to do it before. And, um, and I know also as a pastor who has presided over too many funerals, 
that although sometimes death comes expected, uh, man, so many times it's true, it's a thief in the night. It, it, it comes many, many times when we least expect it. A car accident, right? An illness that suddenly gets out of hand, right? Um, we, everything can be going so great up and to the right. I've seen it multiple times in, in lives, and then suddenly that life flatlines. And the questions of eternity are right in our face with a whole new weight uh, and concern we have about them than we've ever had before, right? And that's because eternity isn't urgent until that moment that it is, right? But here's what I love about Jesus. Here's why I'm so thankful for the gospel. Um, Jesus forces us to deal with the urgency of death. Do you know that Easter, that's one of its greatest gifts, is, is Jesus makes sure that we have dealt with the urgency of death and the importance of death as it, as it truly is. Jesus forces us, you and I, to come to terms with the reality of our death and everyone's death. And one of the ways we see that in the scripture in, in the greatest way is, is actually just in the narrative itself, right? Uh, and the fact that if you study it and you, and you look at what's happening, those disciples that were with Jesus, they had plans for his life that had no inclusion at all of his death. They, that wasn't part of their purview or desire for what was going to happen. In fact, they had plans uh, that, had, that had nothing to do with his death. And we saw that, actually, if you were here last week, when we studied uh, Mark chapter 8, where Jesus, for the first time, then begins to speak plainly of his upcoming death. And the disciples hear this, and what do, what do they say? Uh, Jesus, you know, basically, we don't like this. Peter takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, I'm going to give you a talking to. And, uh, and Peter says this, and we imagined it last week. Jesus, why all this talk about your death, right? The miracles are going so well, right? Uh, you fed all these people. They love you. There's, there's so many more lepers that need to be clean and lame folks that need to walk and blind men that need to see and people that need to hear the word of God. And they, and we're just going to do this for years and years and years to come. I'm sure that's exactly what they thought was going to happen until one day we'll have the critical mass and we'll roll into Jerusalem and take over this earthly kingdom exactly like we're planning. <laughs> But what is, if you remember that passage, what does Jesus say to Peter when he kind of suggests all that? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Peter, Jesus calls Peter Satan, right? That's terrifying. How would you like Jesus to call you Satan, right? And, and it's not because Jesus thought that, that Peter was Satan. It was because Peter was believing Satan's lies. Peter was telling Jesus lies about who Jesus was and what he came to do. He was only thinking in, ter in human terms, not seeing the full mission of God, nor the complete dilemma of humanity. Peter was, was thinking about the happiness of the here and now and not in terms of the urgency of eternity. And that's why what was of first importance is what Jesus was directing them back to. I've got to go to the cross. He sets his face towards Jerusalem and resolutely decides he's going to go deal and break the sin and the curse and the power of sin and death. And, and, and that's because if Jesus doesn't do that, the reality is nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. 
What good was it for a lame man to walk uh, if only a decade later he would die? What good was it for a blind man to see clearer if he never got to see an eternity with God, right? If, what good is it for you if you gain every single one of life's momentary pleasures but never know heaven's eternal joy, right? I think Jesus said that exact thing. So what Jesus is saying to us is I've got to go to the cross. We've got to go to the cross and deal with death. And what Paul is saying to us in 1 Corinthians is that this is what's of first importance in your faith and in your life. We can't downplay it. We can't think that there's anything else that's more important in the life of the church and in your life than it. Because as Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. That's why Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because without the resurrection, without Jesus defeating the curse of sin and death, what the reality is, is our faith ultimately isn't worth anything, right? Our hope is hopeless. The cross can't just be a metaphor and not a real resurrection. Christianity can't just be about happiness here and now because everything ends here and now in death. Everything. You're dying. You're dying. We're all dying. And so the hope that we have to have has to deal with that reality of death, the urgency and importance of death. But what Paul says is, here's the good news, first and foremost, (laughs) Jesus did, right? Because he loved us so much, he went to the cross, and which is why Paul finishes by saying, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. For what I received, I'm passing back onto you of first importance, right? That Jesus died for your sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and it changed everything. And Peter saw him, and James saw him, and the 12 disciples saw him, and 500 people in the same room saw the risen Christ, and I saw him, and it has utterly changed everything about my life. Because Jesus dealt with the urgency of my death, and all death, it changed everything about the way that I was able then to live. And that's the thought I want to leave you guys with tonight. Jesus deals with the reality of your death so Jesus can bring a new reality to your life. Jesus deals with the reality of your death so Jesus can bring a new reality to your lives. You know, I went to the rodeo for the first time this year. And um, yes, I'm not from these parts. And uh, not, not the livestock show, not the carnival. I've got kids. I've been to those things before. They don't give you an option. Um, but the rodeo with the cowboys and the country music, right? And it was fun. Like, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Shannon took me, who is a Texan. That's us in front of whatever that H thing with the hat is. And um, that's me eating my favorite food, which is French fries with two other meals on top of it. Um, and... Uh, And, you know, uh, I probably need to admit this um, before I talk about it. I'm actually not a huge fan of country music. Um, (laughs) uh, I I, uh, I just wasn't raised in that place or that area. None of my friends listened to it. 
And um, the truth is that I know far more about the Notorious B.I.G. than I ever will about George Strait. Um, but, that, but that night, uh, we got to see Tim McGraw. And um, Tim McGraw, uh, I guess he's kind of a big deal, right? He was, he was fun to listen to. Uh, and I knew like sort of two of his songs, um, but there was one song where it was different from all the rest. Like uh, everybody got up out of their seats and sang this song, unlike they had sung any song before it, actually unlike they would sing any song after it. Any of you Tim McGraw fans know what song that probably was? Yeah. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, and uh, it's, a, it's a great song. If, um, I actually had heard that one sort of before, and uh, if you don't know it, and maybe some of you don't, I don't know how that's possible here in Texas, but um, it's a song about a guy who, at 40 years old, gets a cancer diagnosis, and then uh, has to live into that reality. And what he experiences and finds is instead of that being like a terrible curse over his life, like he's expecting, it actually is one of the greatest gifts that he's ever been given. Because when he's dealing with the reality and the urgency of death, he then gets to, to truly actually live, right? He goes skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing, and that's all I'm going to do. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, I wondered, as I was watching everybody sing that song, get up out of their seats, what is it about this song, right? Why is it that everyone loves this song so much? And uh, there's probably a lot of factors, but here's what I think is true. I think that song speaks to one of the deepest realities that every human being knows in their heart, that the biggest existential crisis that any of us deal with is actually our death that we've got to deal with that. But there's something in us that knows and wants to live, right? That wants to live freer and deeper and love like we should and be who we ought to be. And, and there's something about facing the reality of our death that actually frees us to truly live. Right? And that's why so many people have discovered this. This is why weeks later I read a story about a pastor who's about my age who got a cancer diagnosis and shared that his faith grew and life got richer and fuller when that, that diagnosis happened than any other time before. That during those days when he had cancer, he got on the floor with his kids and played every night, even though he was exhausted and nauseated from the chemo. He shared how uh, when he had cancer... Um, he was able to, uh, to, to get up and feel the urgency to read his Bible and pray and meet with God every single day. He shared that uh, this rough outer shell that had been there in his marriage, that cancer diagnosis cracked it. And, and he and his wife suddenly had this beautiful, God-gifted vulnerability that they hadn't had before and were able to love and laugh with one another in ways that they had never done before. He had gotten the gift of learning to live like he was dying. Um, and here's what I want to tell you all this morning. <laughs> Why not you? Why can't you do it too, right? You know, you're dying. I said that. You're dying, every single one of us in here. But, you know, Jesus dealt with the urgency of your death. 
And he says, when you center your lives with what's on first importance in this relationship with him, guess what? That's when you can truly live. That, that this is when we discover that when we lose our life, what did Jesus say? That's when we actually find it, right? That when we discover that when we break down and get to all this other stuff and all those other urgencies away and we get down to this soft, uh, tender core of, of what life is and what it truly can be that we, we learn to experience in the way that we always wanted to. And I just, I just say it again, why can't you live like you're dying? What's stopping you? And maybe consider this, if you aren't feeling heaven's joy, right? Maybe there's a little death that you need to give to Jesus so that he who's dealt with that death, who says you don't need to be afraid of that, can free you to truly live. I want to promise you, y'all, that's why we're here this morning. Easter is about our death, but Easter is about our life. And if we die with Christ, we're going to rise with Christ too. I promise you, you can rise with Christ because Jesus rose from the grave. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word and your insistence that we deal with the urgency of eternity. I thank you that your love conquers the grave and your love leads us to the grave and conquers our fears and our failures lord and i just pray that uh, we would have the courage to step forward into your grace and live like we were dying lord i pray that because you've answered the questions of our death you would give us the freedom of your new life in the name the resurrected name of jesus we pray amen